Hi, everyone. Welcome to an episode of Everything is Canon, a Cinelinks podcast, a podcast where we invite marginalized authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. I'm your host, Steve Dunk, and thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at cinelinks.com, or you can always find me on Twitter, of course, at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. And so, without further ado, let's get the show on the road and meet today's guest. everyone, welcome to the show. As is always the case, we will continue to encourage supporting authors and stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves. Each time we either engage in a conversation, whether it be online or face-to-face, or each time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices. And that is very relevant right now when we're recording this in February for Black History Month. Um, but I want to remind people that when this episode airs, it will be March, which is actually Women's History Month, a time of commemorating and encouraging the study, observance, and celebration that the vital role women play in American history. There are, of course, several ways you can do this. And of course, we should be doing this all year long. I would suggest listening to women and then go from there. Okay, Liz Huerta, uh, born and raised in the Kumie territory, colonizer named Santiago. Liz Huerta is a widely admired Mexican writer and essayist published in Lightspeed, The Cut, The Portland Review, The Rumpus, Miami Rail, and more. Her short story, The Wall, was included in the anthology A People's Future of the United States. She also has been a 2018 Breadlow Fellow, a five-time VONA Fellow, and the winner of the Lumina Fiction Contest, selected by Roxane Gay, who called her writing a menacing, inescapable seduction. Fuck, that's a good compliment. It's the greatest compliment ever. And from from somebody like... I curled over in my body. And listen, it's one thing if I said it, but it lends itself a little bit more weight when it's Roxanne I I was Uh, That's incredible. Um, She has appeared on C-SPAN's Book TV to discuss the erasure of Mexican-American studies in Arizona and has taught creative writing to homeless youth throughout San Diego nonprofits, So Say We All, which is super cool. She's here today, though, to talk about her new book, her debut book, The Lost Dreamer, which is described as a stunning YA fantasy inspired by ancient Mesoamerica. This gripping uh, debut introduced to a lineage of seers defiantly resisting the shifting patriarchal state that would see them destroyed. Perfect for fans of Tommy Adiyami and Sabati here, two good comps there with a detailed supernaturally charged setting and the topical, topical themes of patriarchal power and female strength. Liz Huerta's The Lost Dreamer brings an ancient world to life, mirroring the challenges of our modern one. That is very true. I fucking love this book so much. I'm so happy she's here. Please welcome the show, Liz Huerta. Hi, Liz. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you enjoyed the book. I loved it. I, uh, I don't know. Usually, my I usually like post like an instant reaction on Twitter. Or I don't remember what I said about this book. I think it was something about it attacks all five of your senses or something. And, uh, <laughs> I hope so. I hope it does. You know, I, you when can... you said that, it made me so happy because I'm a very sensory writer. I have to write with a scent going, whether it's incense or a mm. candle. I have to be comfortable. I have to have something playing. So my senses are very involved in everything that I do creatively. So the fact that you picked up on that made me really happy. Well, that's really cool because yeah, like it doesn't happen all the time, but it, you know, once in a while when you read something, um, yeah, like you, especially, I mean, it's kind of, you know, a lot of it depends on, it has to be written well, of course, too, which I think this book is written very well. Um, but like, 
this book is sweaty. It's grimy. You can taste it. You, you, like I can, you can smell the wonderful foods and uh, you can smell the sweat and you can taste just like the, the salt to the seawater. Right. And, and, and you can hear the jungles and stuff coming alive. And yeah, it's very, it's very descriptive in that sense. So um wonderful wonderful read just based on that alone like i said it's really like one of those books where i really felt immersed and mm. we'll talk about why i think why i think a lot of it has to do is for sure because um you know i i think i read somewhere that you sort of you dreamt the idea for this book um mm-hmm. so that's probably a good reason why it manifested the way that it did i think right but also because it's a secondary world fantasy too so you get to have a lot of fun um creating things coming up with ideas Mm -hmm. and and when you when you're able to do that and you're a creative person well then uh like all bets are off right you can just fucking do whatever you want and not whatever you want but um you get to really be descriptive don't you in ways that you wouldn't you know if you if you are sort of like dedicating yourself to a particular place in time in a way you've sort of locked up that creative creativity in some ways haven't you because now you're stuck Mm -hmm. to the to whatever that canon is Mm-hmm. Talk about just uh, you know having that freedom to be able to write, just period. Not this book. Set that this book aside for a second, but just writing like that, being able to sort of free yourself up by doing something that's you know secondary. You know, I you know I think one of the one of my gifts from my life as I've been shaped as a writer is that I'm a very non traditional writer. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have any college degrees. I attended a bunch of writing workshops. But for the most part, I've just listened to tons of audiobooks. Um, I painted wrought iron for my family business for 20 years. Mm. So I'm a working class writer and I was on ladders every day with audiobooks in my ear. And one of the things that I'm really drawn to is musicality and sense, using the senses in writing. Mm. And so I think that that just kind of got into my subconscious. And I was really drawn to evocative writing that was able to kind of, you know, pull in every sensation and to describe places so that I would feel that I wasn't on my ladder on a construction site, that I was in these other worlds. And then when I'd come home to write in the evenings or honestly, sometimes just in the back of my truck with a notebook um, on job sites, that, that would all come up and I would just just try to write stuff that is immersive because that's what I'm drawn to. So, uh, so you, sorry, you painted wrought iron. Was that you said that was your family business? Mm-hmm, my family, my dad started um, a wrought iron business when I was about a year old and I have two sisters and all of us have worked for the business. My sisters now work for the business full time and I pop in and out um, at the moment and they work in the office they run the business and i um i'm not very good on the phone uh <laughs> i am not very patient on the phone which isn't great when clients are calling so right. my dad stuck me in the field <laughs> he's like you don't get to talk on the phone here's a paintbrush you're gonna go work yeah go where your strengths are it's a good boss exactly good manage- and i love man- and i yeah. loved it i loved that work um it was very satisfying. So Exhausting. Oh, it but sounds I loved like. It. So is this like like you know the wrought iron that goes like on windows and fencing mm-hmm. and stuff like that? That type of thing. Well, okay. we we do a lot of high end wrought iron, so working in a lot of gated communities for one percenters, and I would specialize in doing custom finishes. So um, 
making black gates look like old patina copper or oil rubbed bronze or kind of a burnished silver. I developed a bunch of techniques over the years to do custom finishes. Mm -hmm. And it was the perfect job for me as a writer because I wasn't really wasting my psychic energy um, with my mind, my brain work, right? It wasn't brain work. It was very physical and creative and I could listen to audiobooks and be in my imagination all day and then come home and create. That's super cool. It was amazing. It is amazing when I go back. I, I have a job next week and I'm really excited Yeah. to be on the ladder painting. Um, and so what's the idea? Will the, the sisters take over the business? Is that sort of the plan? Mm -hmm. Or Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Isn't that so cool when you get to like leave something to somebody like that? And assuming, yeah. they, assuming they want it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't happen, think yeah. any of us really wanted to end up in the family business, but it allows a certain amount of freedom. Yeah. For me, it was a freedom. I like to travel. You know, I'd be like, dad, I'm taking off to go travel. Fine. And my sisters both have young children. So it gives mm. them a lot of freedom um, to spend more time with their kids. Do you think, would your dad be bummed if, if everyone said, no, we're good? Or would he be all right with it? I don't know what he would do. I honestly don't know what he would do. Um, I mean, ultimately, of course, I'm sure he wants yeah. everyone to be happy, of course, right? Of but course, I mean, of but course. It, but yeah. I, it's just only because I know I've known, you know, friends and stuff who have sort of walked away from the family business. And, you know, I've, I know that it sort of hurt the parents in a way, right? Because right. they've, you know, they've worked so hard themselves and they've wanted... It, you take a bit of pride in what you do, of course. You of should, course. anyways. And uh, so, yeah. So, I'm just curious if uh, and there's I don't, and this to, is not a this isn't yeah. this isn't like right or wrong decision. <laughs> it's just I'm not trying. You know, it's just uh, just curious. Yeah. I think he'd be happy. You know, he wants us to be happy at the end of the day. He wants us to be happy and fulfilled. And um, right now, I think the three of us are all doing what we love. Uh, both my sisters are very type A. I'm the artist in the family and I'm completely just kind of go with the flow. So they love running things. They love going to job sites and measuring jobs and talking to crews. The, um, they have the, the shop right there where they're making all the wrought iron. And so they love going out and talking to the guys. I mean, my sisters really love um, being bosses. Mm, nice. Where yeah. I have none of that in me. I don't want to be a boss at all. Um, like to be an artist full time. Yeah, I'm. I uh, I would be a terrible boss. I think I'm just yeah. too. I'd be like standing on the sidelines, like wanting to jump in. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. like I'm not a good. Uh, I don't know what's a dumb sports reference. Somebody who sits and watches sports. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> spectator. I'm not a good spectator yeah. like of sports. Yeah, yeah. I like to get in get in the mix, get my hands dirty too, for sure. So, um, one of the uh, what was I reading? Something about the uh, universe just talk about sort of like the roots of, of where this, you know, creative spark come from. I know you mentioned just, you know, in grade school, you had a teacher that was important to you and stuff like this. Yeah. Um, We're still friends. It's wow. really funny. My elementary school, sixth grade teacher D um, her adult child, one of her adult children lives in my apartment complex. So I see D regularly. In fact, I got, um, I was able to get them the space when they were moving here and yeah, she, Dee was an amazing teacher and it's amazing that at this point she's still supporting my writing. She, a couple of years ago when I sold the book, she gave me a bunch of my writing from sixth grade that she had saved. Mm. And? Um, and <laughs> it's really funny. I had this story. 
I have this weird obsession with plumbers and plumbing. And I wrote a story in the sixth grade about a plumber, which is so funny because one of my favorite stories, um, Mao, this actually in the society that I created, the dystopia, the plumbers kind of rule society. And I was like, wow, that love for plumbers <laughs> runs really deep in me. It makes sense. I mean, you got to yeah. think about it like irrigation and, and, you know, it's like these things are so important, right? Like, yeah, without, I read this it, book funny years how, ago. Yeah, yeah. I read this book called How Plumbing Saved Civilization. And at that, I read that, well, probably 15, 16 years ago. And from that, I mean, it kind of solidified my love for plumbers, but I was like, yeah, yeah they bring us clean water. They get rid of our wastewater. They're we should be throwing them parades. Yeah. I mean, think about how many people die around the world from, uh, you know, septic, uh, septus type things and, and diseases exactly. because they don't have access to clean water and plumbing, right? Like you said, take your, exactly. like, that is a huge problem in this world. Like for 90% of the fucking population mm-hmm. of the planet, that is a huge problem. And, Absolutely. Um, so I totally agree. Yeah. We're way better than electricians. Um, <laughs> uh, one of the things that you mentioned too about her just like you know she gave you a lot of books that she, you thought she would like and that so that sort of mm-hmm. speaks to sort of like just having access to books and a big thing mm. i think thing that's always been a problem but it's just been trending lately is book banning in the states um <sighs> i know um i also write for we need diverse books so i'm mm-hmm. actually right now working on um, trying to put together they want me to put together a round table for that so it's mm-hmm. it's an important you know it's such an important issue and i'm i'm uh, you know, the more people talk about it, the better, because I think it's an, I think it's an emergency. Like it's a, it's a, it's an, you know, like the alarm bell should be ringing. And. Oh, absolutely. What's uh, what, do you, like, is it, is there anything, is it, do you have anything to add that maybe already hasn't been said or any feelings on it that, that, you know, you think might be uh, worth getting out there? I mean, I think if we look at history and we look at the societies that have started banning books and what that leads to, we should be scared. Yeah. We should be scared um, because it's one of those things where people are like, it's not that big of a deal, but there's that metaphor they use a lot um, in domestic violence circles where it's, you know, the frog in the pot of boiling water. You put the frog in hot water, it'll jump right out. But if you put the frog in the water when it's at room temperature and slowly raise the flame, the frog won't realize it's being cooked alive. Mm. I think the banning of the books is turning the flame on and we're yeah. the frogs in the water and we need, we need to say no. Right. It's, there's so many things about it that are insane and just, you know, insidious. Right. But, and, and I'm always shocked when this, something like this happens, you know, these people are making decisions for children. They'll never meet. Right? <laughs> they're never going to meet these kids that they're right. that they're deciding what they can and can't read like it's insane to me the arrogance you know that's how that's how deep their hate and fear goes right uh you know they're they're willing to you know destroy an entire populace of people they're, they'll never fucking meet like that's insane exactly. to me so yeah it's it's unbelievable and i it is it is an emergency and I, and you know i see people talking about it and i i hope we talk about it even more um because the more you talk about something, the more people are able to realize that something maybe can be done about it. And it does mm-hmm. feel like an impossible situation, doesn't it? Because their side, the other side is so fucking well organized because they, they, because they play, well, they play the long game, right? They've yeah. been doing it for a long time. And, and I don't know if, if, you know, people have just been slow to react or just, there's a bit of shock value too, isn't there? They're like, what? 
<laughs> right? It's chopped out. And the thing yeah. is, we're so exhausted from fighting so many different so oppressions many different and battles. so many yeah. different fronts. Yeah. Like there's so yeah. many things going on and you're just like, where do I put my energy? And also I need time for rest. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, I think, yeah, it's, but librarians are the most badass humans yep. in the world. And I know they will be, you know, leading the fight and it's our job to support them. And I mean, I'll never run for office, um, but people who have that within them to run for the school boards mm -hmm. and say no, we yeah. have to change this. It's funny because, you know, I, I'm very privileged in, in many ways, um, not only because I'm white, but because I just, you know, live in an area that just isn't, has been affected by so many of these things that I, you know, rail against personally, right? things that I fight against. What I did was I sort of printed a list of a lot of the books that were banned and just went to a few of my local libraries to see if they had them. And I was happy to say they did have most of them and that's good, but I understand that's a, that's a fucking privileged position to be in. And I just want to remind people like book banning is not good for business. I know some people think it is. Well, it's just not good for it, society. Safe, right. But like that's, you know, that, that narrative that's got to go. Right. So yeah, it's, it's complicated and it's massive and it's huge, but yeah, I like, to your point, that's a really good book. Riot put out a really good list of things people can do, and they broke it down by like citizen, librarian, teacher, because not everyone can do the same thing, right? To to right. fight against this, especially as a citizen, I feel I feel helpless so much for all the things that I'm passionate about beyond just you know being a like keyboard you know warrior, right? Like clicking, donating money, which is important, yeah. of course, but mm -hmm. simply you know, but th there's other things I want to do, right? So that was one thing. Going to the libraries, yeah, run for the board. Like I've met the, I've looked up the board, and and you know, I've sent them emails, and I just said, just and I've said, literally said to them, like I've got my eye on you guys. Yeah, <laughs> just see, I'm like you're good right now, but don't don't think I'm not coming back. But uh, different things like that. But it is huge, and you know, talk about sort of fighting the system you know, fighting the, uh, fighting up against these uh, longstanding, you know, things that have been in place to harm marginalized people. One of the things I love from authors in particular is, is having gall, right? A little bit of courage. Mm -hmm. So in your case, the industry wasn't coming to you, right? Because, you know, you know I, I know, I don't even have to know you or ask you what it was like representation-wise growing up because I know it didn't exist. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, there was nothing there. So the industry isn't coming to you, so you're going to the fucking industry, and I love that. Tell me about that. Tell me about doing that, number one, just saying, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to put myself on the cover or somebody that looks like me on my own cover. Mm -hmm. if, that's, if, I, if that's what I have to do, that's what I'm going to do. And talk to me about maybe the first time you did feel represented, either in a book or even a TV show or say, or a movie or something. Mm. Well, I think like so many other um, writers or just so many other people like me, um, Latinx people who I think our first introduction was House on Mango Street, Sandra Cisneros, which I read in English class 14. And I, I was really just, I had some extraordinary teachers and my teacher, Ms. Lopez, I went to her and the next day after I read House on Mango Street and I threw the book on her desk and I was angry. And I said, I didn't know we were allowed to write about ourselves. And she took me on a, she, we had a school field trip to um, one of the local universities, I think San Diego State. And Ms. Lopez took me into the bookstore 
and bought me a bunch of books by Latin American authors mm. and blew my world open. You know, Garcia Marquez, Isabel Allende, these, uh, these authors I had no idea existed. And that was a gift. And um, I loved fantasy. I really have always loved fantasy since I was a child. And, but I didn't think about writing it until, um, and do you, you know Cindy Pond and Cindy Pond's work, Silver Phoenix? Yep. So Cindy and I were in a novel writing workshop together. Um, we met in that workshop in 2006. And I was working on a different YA novel at the time. And she was workshopping Silver Phoenix. And when she read an excerpt, I was like, wait, wait, I can do this. I can write a book with my, my heritage. And then I, um, I go to the same place every night when I dream. It's very strange um, and beautiful, but I have this whole dream world that I've been visiting since I was a teenager and I have a house there, I have friends there, I can draw you a map. And there's this place that I would go consistently where there's this, um, this cove in the ocean that I was just kind of would float in and stare at the sky and I thought, I'm going to write a book with this cove in it. And that's where the seed for the lost dreamer started in my dreams and um, kind of fueled by Cindy Pond's Silver Phoenix. That's really cool. And yeah, just even hearing you talk about that sort of like took me to to the book, to your to the world you created in this book, right? And so because yeah, it is it's there's some scenes that definitely speak to that. Especially this idea of returning to the same place in the dream. Mm -hmm. now, you know, some details change, some of the characters change. Um, but it feels like, you know, India and, and before she was when she was able to even but mostly Saya is able to sort of return to that same place mm. in a lot of ways, right? Like it's 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 such an interesting we'll talk a little bit about that here in a second. But yeah, Saya goes to that cove. Uh that's, that's right. That cove where I go. Um I write down my dreams every morning as soon as I wake up. And I've been doing that for years. And I can kind of gauge my mental health and my emotional health by how the cove looks when I go there. And if the beach is crowded or dirty, um, I can kind of tell where I am in my life. It's pretty interesting. That's really cool. And um, I don't know, we might have to cut this part out because, okay. well, no, only because I'm gonna ask, I wanna ask you something. Um, mm -hmm. Are we allowed to talk about India losing her gift? Yeah, because that's right in the beginning. Okay, I wasn't sure. Like, I'm always, like I'm sensitive to people who who feel that way, but like this this idea of like what's a plot and what's a spoiler, right? Right. I think people kind of go too far with it, and they're afraid to talk about anything. Well, that's I mean that's so anyways okay a huge part of her whole story, and you I, find that out I think and I, I think totally you find that out in the first chapter. It's early, I remember that. Yeah. But yeah so. Like, so anyway, okay, that's good um, because. To, you know, sort of, I want to jump on what you just said. And so, yeah, India loses the ability to dream mm -hmm. and just sort of that kind of, I thought of that when you just said, you know, you wake up and write your dreams down and they're, and they're very important to you, obviously. Yeah. Imagine you fucking, imagine we lost the ability to dream. Oh, I would. Be <laughs> there, but there have been periods in my time where I don't yeah. remember my dreams. We don't remember them. Yeah. yeah. And I also think, oh, there's something going on that I need to figure out because mm my dream world is so important to me. And um, there have been periods of stress or depression or other things where I, I don't remember my dreams. And that's also a sign to me to um, figure out what's going on so I can get back there. Right. And you'll have to take some of the, what was the route that they take in the book to? Oh gosh, no, no, thank you. <laughs> 
No. no willingly, no. not spiked. I'm not, we're not spiking you like somebody does. Right. Who I'm not sure about that guy. Um, he hasn't he hasn't won he hasn't won me yet. I don't care. Right. He's got he's got a lot of lot more redemption to go in my opinion. But uh <laughs> he's on his way, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um so when you um when you wrote this book, or sorry, not when you wrote it, when you got the deal, was it? Did it get? Did you get signed as a duology, or I, w- I had gone out as a trilogy, and then the editor who originally bought the book wanted a duology, and she wanted me to take book one and book two, cut them both in half, and weave uh, them together. Okay, I was gonna. I almost just said yeah because, and it's funny. I'm talking to another author on Friday. Vanessa Lynn, who did get a trilogy. And one of my questions mm-hmm. I want to ask her is how the fuck did you manage to get a trilogy nowadays? And young adult I'm really grateful. <laughs> I don't have yeah. a trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm really happy. I'm like, you know what? Duology is fine. Um, fine. So I, I, it's kind of a funny thing. We're in this thing where they, you know, you get locked into the, into this, you know, sort of bullshit Gregorian calendar thing where they want mm-hmm. you to release books 12 months apart, roughly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a reader, that's really hard for me because I struggle with that. Like there's no way I'm waiting two years so I can hold both books in my hand and then read them straight through. Right. There's just, that's just not going to happen. Right. But at the same time, I have insane closure issues. And I, like, yeah. Damn, like it drives you me You want to know how the story I want to know, right? especially, and, and, and of course, especially if you enjoyed it, right. Like which right. I did with this book. So it's like, I mean, I would love to have the second book right now i would read it i would sit down and read it straight through right now um so when you're writing this so you so you had the whole thing sort of mapped out do you mm-hmm. and you know it's going to be at least a, it's a series right whether it's two or three books mm-hmm. do you think about the reader when you end book one and pick up and because there's supposed to be there's all these like sequel rules right like you're never supposed to start the second book exactly where you left off and all kind of these weird things but um I don't follow rules. No, no, no. I, I'm, and, I'm, and you should never do. And nor, and nor should you. Rules. And nor should you. But I'm think when you write these stories, but then there is, you know, but you know, you have to end book one, just even mm-hmm. just physically, you have to end the book. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you think of like, do you write it in the sense that like, I want the reader to experience it as if they are holding both books? Or do you want, or do you end it? Or do you think, you know what, I'm going to end it in a way knowing the industry is going to give them 12 months <laughs> to think about what just happened. Oh, I, I, whew, I don't know. I, I don't think I thought about that. I just kind of ended the story, I think on an emotionally pretty intense place. An amazing knowing that place. I had, it's my, the I third to, act is my favorite and I wish we could talk this, about it more, but yeah, yeah the yeah, third yeah. act is really intense. Yeah. Um, I, spent a lot of time sobbing on the floor, right? Yeah. <laughs> Third act. But I knew that I sobbed a little bit, not as much as you yeah. it sounds like. <laughs> but a little the bit. The journey, yeah. the next part of the journey for these characters had to pick up at the beginning of book two. Like I couldn't yeah. put them on the journey at the end of book one because right, right. they have a lot to process. And I think the reader probably has a lot to process too. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I I love that 12 months because I'm getting over some shit I need to deal with with I read in yeah. book one, right? <laughs> then that can go that could be good or bad. Um uh, but then sometimes I'm like, God, give me that thing right now, right? Like give me, I'll read it right now. I don't care how many words it is. It could be 150,000, I'll read it right, right. now. Um, oh, I love those big thick books. They're yeah, so well, great. I mean the ones some, that you love. Just well, that's some yeah, are that's, tedious. Some are tedious. Yes, that's the caveat. You gotta enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, this was definitely one of those books. And, and when people read the ending, you know, they'll understand. And uh, it, it just ends in such a way where you're like, 
okay, I'm, I got my pack. Let's go. Let's I'm, I'm here. Let's I, go get up. Let's go for the journey. <laughs> let's get on this journey. Yeah, it was, it was an intense process to write that ending. Cause I knew what I was writing toward the entire time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And for when sure. I got there, the emotional release I experienced. Yeah, absolutely. I was just I was sobbing on the floor. It was pandemic. It, I was a wreck. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was really beautiful, too, you know, because it's it's not a necessarily I don't know. I tried to create a moment in that where it's a combination of both grief and joy. Mm. Well, it's it's an amazing couple of chapters there for me in particular, because I think it's the best part of the book. I think it's your best mm -hmm. writing. Mm -hmm. And it's obviously the most emotional part for sure. And people will, I think I doubt anyone will disagree with that for obvious reasons. Right. And it also has like all of my it's you've just gathered all my favorite characters because I love a call and you Oh, um, me too. I love them so much. So do I. Like, I'm obsessed with them. And uh, and I am, you know, and as it should be, like, I'm of, I'm of the opinion we can all have our favorite side characters. That's fun. Mm -hmm. and that's of fun. Course. And we and that's fun. And we love that. But it, to me, your favorite character should always be the, the main character. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, then I don't I'm not entirely sure. And it should also be your favorite character. I'm talking to you, the right. author, I think. Um, I, and they, the, the main character should always be the hardest to write. It should always be your favorite character, especially in a right. series. I mean, it lives and dies on the main character, right? If I don't like Ingrid or Saya, then fuck, yeah. it's kind of done, aren't we? Yeah, like, why, would, kinda, you, why would you hang out with them? We're kind of screwed, right? So yeah, no, the, the last few, few chapters especially has just like a gathering of my favorite people and it's the most emotional parts of the book. And I want to, yeah, you know, I was going to talk about that in a few minutes, but let's get to it now. Part of the reason for that, I think, is you make them, I mean, we, we, you make us earn it as the reader, but man, you really make these characters earn it, don't they? Don't you? Because this idea of, you know, we're so quick to explain away magical things nowadays, right? With, mm -hmm. reason, with reason and science, it's just the way we're sort of designed nowadays. But, you know, back then that just wasn't the case, right? Even, right. even stuff that appears scientific and scientifically explained in nature they still want to really, you know, rely on, on their God-given gifts and, right. you know, these wonderful abilities that they have. And even just, even things as far as like being able, like, um, Dua is great too. Dua is a great sort of like, way I love her yeah, so much. Dua is a great sort of wayfarer through this where she's like, she's us in a lot of ways. She's that practical, mm -hmm. like that practical character in the book who's like, no, you like, you got to be able to squat a hundred times with this pack on right. <laughs> and go to the bathroom in the woods. All the things that, I, that I'm thinking of, I'm like, how is she going to piss? Like, exactly. it's like all these you wonderful crawl things. around with it, you know? Right. And, and then, so then, but that really does conflict with a lot of sort of like the fantastical elements of the story where we're not supposed to think about the practicalities of, of going on these crazy intense long journeys right. and the, you know, like with all these divinations that are happening and all these, and like, you've got characters like the Ilkin who are fucking great, but like, I thank you. They, well, and Dua has been through some shit, you know, a hundred percent. Her backstory is, is one of the, one of the harder yeah. ones to read. Yeah. 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 And I yeah. actually written, um, I have a short story about her backstory that I'm dying to publish one oh, day. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I'd love to read that. Yeah, about yeah. how she made it there to where she is now. And um, so, yeah, she's the practical one. She's the voice of reason. She's just like, oh, you live in a temple. You have no idea what the real world's like. That's right. And this idea, you really make the characters earn it, especially Ingrid and Saya. Like they go through some shit. And this idea yeah. that, you know, this idea of 
what people are what people are capable of and, and they're they're more capable than they even realize in themselves and a lot of that is like we get lazy right we get sort of used to these uh, to, to mo- living in modern society and, and mm-hmm. th- none of us have ever had our our metal tested i have haven't not mm-hmm. not really right <laughs> like, mm-hmm. not like this like you know i've suffered like i've gone to the to the coffee shop and they've been out of almond milk like i know what it's like to, <laughs> you know i know what it's like to suffer liz but you know when you push and push and push somebody, you'd be surprised what they're capable of. And that happens in this book. And these characters are pushed to the limit, to the brink. I mean, I wrote an apology letter to Indira just because I put her (laughs) through more than, you know, I, I was telling a friend the other day, I was like, you know, somebody asked me like, who do you identify of the characters? And I was like, well, you know, I felt like when I started the book, I felt like Indira in the beginning of the book. And at the end of the book, I felt like Indira at the end of the book. And, just that scope right it's of it's amazing life experience right and you know this book uh sort of not sort of there's a wonderful way you tell the story you know it's got dual dual uh point of views uh the timelines are purposely a little funky right it's kind of for us mm-hmm. to sort of figure out you know but it does behoove me to tell any readers to really pay attention to the details especially when it comes to certain characters and their lineage mm-hmm. and, and their and their lineages that's all i'll say for now um there and, are clues everywhere. <laughs> there is, yeah. Clue. I mean, yeah. the thing is, you think you're reading one book and you're reading something completely different, I hope. I loved it. I love the way you bring it together. Uh, I would, And then we get to the third act. Then you go back. I love when I love when stories do this. And then you, go, you take an opportunity to go back and revisit some of the stuff we already mm. thought we knew, but you fill in some of the blanks. Right? Mm-hmm. You do a really great job of that. I'm just curious, this is a process question, if you ever... Do you have like a big board in front of you with like strings and timelines <laughs> and things connecting? Did you ever get tangled up or were you in control of this thing the whole time? Because it's, imp- it, and be honest here, because it's, it's, you know, I wouldn't be, you know, it, it, there's a lot going on here. And if you sort of like shuffled your, if you tripped out, tripped over yourself a couple of times, that's something I would do because that's, I don't have the brain capacity to do it. But if you didn't and you had, and you were able to like control this sucker the whole time, amazing. That's amazing. I, you know, I don't know if there was any control in any of the process. I knew how the book ended. I right. knew where I wanted to end up. And then um, I just kind of let it flow. I have, I, I have a long meditation practice that I've had for many years. Mm. And so my mantra, my way of entering my writing is to meditate before I write. My, what I say to myself is I trust the story choosing to emerge through me. Right. And it just all kind of flowed. I, I really didn't have any control over it and things would happen and characters would show up and I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm sure my brain at some, some cause, some conscious level knows what's happening. So I'm just going to trust it. Yeah. And then I would be surprised. I surprised myself so many times writing this book. And then I was like, I wrote, I worked with this poet years ago and she said to me, the greatest gift you can have in writing is the unexpected inevitable like you have no idea what's coming but it'll make sense no other way that's that's fucking really cool isn't that um, a beautiful yeah, 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 unexpected yeah. inevitable yeah. i'm like i want that yeah um, you're like, you're like i'm taking that that's mine now um <laughs> so this is yeah this is like a pre takes place in a pre-contact mesoamerica mm-hmm. you know before white people showed up and ruined everything um and and it's a secondary world fantasy so you've it's you know leans heavily into fantastical stuff for sure and you created a lot of it you know from scratch essentially um 
and it sounds like you were really just like going with the flow here, letting it, letting the story sort of dictate itself, like speak to you and stuff like that. So did you have an outline? Are you an outliner? Like were you? I'm a, not an outliner at all. Okay. I have, I mean, I have an end, I have a goal at the end. I'm like, this is where I want to get to at the end of this story um, or this part of the story and let's go see what happens along the way. Um, I love that. And it was just, I trusted myself. I, I, just like, you know what, Liz, let it happen. Let it flow. What the worst thing you have to do is go back and rewrite, you know? Yeah. And I think in trusting myself, there were so many gifts that showed up that I wasn't expecting. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a line um, when there's a part of the journey where Nahi is kind of feeling, listening to the earth. And I was like, oh, those are fungal networks that we that I've listened to podcasts about that exist under the ground, right? Yep. You know, like these big fungal networks that communicate across vast different distances. And um, I, I so there was something so beautiful in the surrender of it, just surrendering myself to the story and these characters. And once I was in that flow state, I just was in it. My friends laughed at me because, you know, they, um, a lot of this was written, rewritten during pandemic. And so they would call me and I'd ignore them. And then I'd call them late at night with this kind of wild look in my eye. And they're like, oh, you're not really here. I'm like, no, I'm not really here. <laughs> That's funny. Um, what changed? Did anything change during the process then? Because you must have had some idea of sort of, like you said, where you were going with it, but then so much of it just came organically. Was What surprised you, I guess, maybe is a better way to put it. Um, about the, about how it how you know the final pro- say the final product compared to the maybe final sort product, of early designs yeah you know it, it's hard to say what I had originally intended without spoiling um, right. who the lost dreamer is so there were some things that changed the um, there was a in my original draft that went out to publishers it was just Indir's story. And so that was a much more richly inhabited world. It was much more political. And so that went away, which mm. I appreciate now. I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to have enough of that in real life. Um, right. And I wanted it to base it more in kind of the emotional arc of the loss of identity. And so I was surprised, I think, by Saya's strength too. Mm. Um, I was like, whoa, look at this little badass. Who does she think she is? You go, girl. You know, I was really impressed at how hardcore she kind of came into herself. Um, it takes a lot of balls. Of take, pardon, pardon the phrase. It yeah. takes a lot of balls to do what she did. It takes a lot of courage to take that step. Yeah. Because let's talk about that. So she's in a, in a pretty, so she's been raised by this woman named, named uh, Soleil. Yeah. And uh, she's and it's an abusive. It's an abusive dynamic. relationship. It's a very yeah. abusive relationship. And to get out of that, takes so much courage especially when you're like this is my mother this is who raised me like what do I owe her how will I survive and um luckily she had community who stepped in to support her and not just community in the waking world but community in the dream who kind of showed up and was like hey this is your time this is what you need to do and um I think it was just that she just chose to to grow she made the choice to grow yeah that's um, i love that she like, got just, to the point yeah. where she was like i just can't anymore and i think she realized 
when her mother began to possibly harm somebody that she was beginning to care about, she was like, I'm out because we can take a lot of things for ourselves. But when people are harming those we care about, that's when the beast comes out. Isn't that's an amazing thing. And that talk about mirroring real life. I mean, God, we do that all the time. And the shelters mm-hmm. are full of, are full of women who refuse to leave a situation because they couldn't mm. leave with their child. Right. And right. it's like, they, they take all the abuse in the world, but as soon as that anger, that violence is directed towards their child. They're like, that seems to be the line. Right. And yeah, absolutely. And uh, it had God and the shelters are full, full, overfull. Um, and what's interesting about Saya too, is because she's been, you know, groomed and conditioned in a way, she's not able to recognize so many things about herself. Mm. That's important. And just about having relationships, having friendships and man, she has uh, the one thing that's nice is that you have Saya meet some incredible people along the way. Mm-hmm. And and my cynical asshole self kept waiting for some of them to turn on her. <laughs> oh no, I love yeah. I love her. I love her little crew so yeah, much. Yeah, she has they're a great just, I love her crew too. Yeah, she has a great they're crew. They're just amazing people. And then, you know, when she gets to meet Akal and Yishu at the end, you yeah. know, towards the end, and that relationship is so much fun to write. Yeah. It's so much fun to write as I, you know, um in book two, like Yishu's just so neurodiverse. I love her. I can't. Uh, I, I, yeah, I just love these characters. And I, they surprise me, and I just I want to hang out with them. Akal, I actually, I'm like, when I grow up, that's that's who I want to be. She's amazing. Such yeah. a badass. She's such a badass. Um. So yeah. So like, Saya, yeah, is one half of the book, but the other half, and uh, which is the one we become. I would say more familiar with only because there's more to become familiar with, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, we have this, so uh, India has this family. Talk about, uh, I'm not going to read the summary, by the way, you've probably noticed that already. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just, I don't do that, but uh, people can look that up. And, um, but what's a dreamer? A dreamer is a woman who, when she sleeps at night, has the ability to enter a different dimension, um, a spirit world, as it were, where she can communicate with um, other entities that are not human and other energies that are not human to bring back information to the waking world in order to serve um, the community. And the dream is the, the origin of everything. It is, you know, the great unifier. And so there's this lineage of dreamers who have the, the gift to go into the dream at night to cross over, which most people, almost nobody else can do. Um, and it's a sacred gift, but um, the gift has been slowly dying out. And now it's being challenged by um, some crappy people. <laughs> yeah, well, we won't get too much into the crappy people because that, yeah. that, that gets too close to spoiler stuff. But um, yeah, we, it's, it's, you, you give a face and a name to the, to the bad people, which is, which is good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's this character named Alcon who just, just is just, uh, that's a good way to put it. Ugh. He's uh, he's a real piece of shit. And, <laughs> oh my! I know. Um, I I and, would get so angry writing him. Yeah, like, Why are you a jerk, and you live in my head. Um, the one the one thing that I really loved about uh, Indira, for sure. So yeah, this this ability to dream is is very much a genealogy a type of mm-hmm. ability. It's matriarchal, um, and so she has this wonderful family of of women that they all have this ability, and they are you know up until 
we sort of meet them are treated with the proper reverence and respect yeah. for, for, for the, for what they do and what they provide, you know, to, um, is it Alcanze? Alcanze? Alcanze. Alcanze. Yeah. 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 Um, this is the place, the city where everything sort of takes place. Um, and they are treated with the proper respect and it's only mm-hmm. until the boys come back into town is when things go get shitty for them. Although there are yeah, some, people- uh, there is allies in the city for sure. There are male yeah. allies for sure. Of course, like, yeah. I won't, I will, I can't not bring up this swoony Ovis, but uh, um, <laughs> he is a wonderful boy. He's a wonderful boy. And we love him. And but, he's a um, good kid. But um, yeah, no, India has this wonderful matriarchal thing going on. She's surrounded by this strength. And I, that is such an important part of this book. Not only the celebration of women and sisterhood and motherhood, but the celebration of the female body and all its forms. Mm. And it's such a, you, you write it so beautifully. Um, and I love that. And from Safi and her sisters, and I won't forget the aunts who are. Uh, oh, they're Kub- my Kubi and, favorite. Kubi and Jara. Kubi and Ishara, they're my amazing. favorite. The twin, the like... twin aunts are so great. Um, you know, a part of me, I'm like in my head, like I just see them if they were contemporary. It's kind of like these kind of like the badass metalhead aunties. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. like I'm like, oh, yeah, they would have the greatest music collection and you know i don't know i just see them as i had a couple of aunts like that i'm like oh yeah you're the badass metalhead aunties i love that relationship between safi and the aunts because the aunts like have all the perks but none of the responsibility right right whereas so they can like they're like the prince harry of the like they can just party all the time because they know they're never going to be in charge right yeah well because their their sister is like no i'm the boss that's right right oh yeah a lot of that is safi just imposing her will on everybody Right. right but um and 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 of course, the ants, the ants take their, you know, they are responsible. I'm not to say they're not, they're, mm-hmm. not ir- they're not irresponsible, but there's definitely like a sense that like, you know, they're, they're go to the beat of their own drum where Safi has imposed this different type of sort of responsibility on herself, right. which she, you know, carries with her and carries well. Like she's a, she's a wonderful, you know, you know, mother, mother figure to everybody in a sense. Um, there's a great line in the book. It's called each war, her devastation in a different form of kindness. Mm. And that's a wonderful, wonderful line. And that I think of this family when I think of that line and I think about the hardships that, that all the women in this book face. And yet they just persevere. Yeah. They, they keep going. Like so many women still to this day have to do in real life. Right. Because oh, I mean, they, across they, generations, yeah. it's never ended. Right. It's never ended. And I, I come from, incredible I think I write women so well because I love women so much and I love I I was raised by an incredibly strong woman and her sister and I have this huge network of aunties that half of them aren't related by blood but we're this gathering force of power that we are all unstoppable one of my one of my cousins um he he is an elementary school teacher and he said to me he's like you know it's impossible for me to fall in love because I haven't met anybody as strong as women in our family. And I was like, well, you know, just look harder. There's strong women everywhere. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm like, the right one will show up. And, but I was raised by this beautiful lineage of really just badass women who, um, you know, we fight, we bicker, we gossip. I mean, just like the characters in the book, it's Mm -hmm. not always like this pristine relationship, but at the, at the heart of it, there's this fierce love and protectiveness that I've never doubted ever. You know, I, at this moment, I could call any one of 
my aunties and say, I need you. And she would drop whatever she was doing to be with me. And I know that for a fact. I love that. That's amazing. And that's sort of like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a tiny bit glib because I, I, I have my own opinions on, you know, when we sort of like celebrate a, a marginalized group just for one month, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it kind of drives me nuts and we should be doing it all year. There's no, well, I mean, it's, yeah. it's basically like, yeah. so the corporations can have a month of feeling good about themselves. It's, yeah, it's talking to, yeah, especially branded merchandise. That's right. Talking to, you know, like Toji Onibuchi about black history month. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, when are we going to start giving each other cards? Right. Like Valentine's day. <laughs> like, you, know, know. Like, like, you can make money uh, off of it. You can. Right. And, but, but in a sense, you know, I, I sort of do, you know, the fact that, you know, this book comes out in March and it is women's history month actually in women's history day is on my birthday march 8th um and i guess it, you know i guess if, if there's a silver lining it's poetic that this book comes out in march i suppose because it is so strongly rooted in this belief that women are fucking powerful and they're strong and they can do anything and you know i really want people to understand if anything that this book really to me like i, I love when i read something not of course i i like to enjoy it but i like to mm-hmm you know, hopefully leave, leave the reading experience a, a better person. And I feel like I'm a little bit better of a person from reading this book. And that uh, is such a great compliment. Thank yes. you so much. So, so I just want to thank you for writing it. Cause it was so great. I enjoyed it so much. And I fucking can't wait for a book too. There's this thing ends like with, again, these talk about these characters earning it. And then there's this coming together of, of ideas at the end. Um, that's so powerful. It's so well-written and, uh, you just and the cliffhanger, you know, the cliffhanger both, and, and, and well, the cliffhanger is just both. But, you know, I wanted to do a cliffhanger that was both emotional, like what it what's emotionally at stake for these characters and also what's at stake for the world. And there's a lot at stake and the stakes are, are very stake. high. And this is the thing that's wonderful about, about book one is um, you don't even you don't even really have these characters understand the full weight of everything just yet. It's just yeah. enough to get them where they are. And it's a powerful spot. And it's almost like you have to, if you're going to take on the patriarchy, you got to gather the forces. And I got a real mm-hmm. sense of like, you know, this sort of like get, getting the team together, right? Like this yeah. whole idea of like, and you're, you know, your strongest, these are strong women individually, no doubt, but I think they understand they're stronger together. And absolutely. And, um, and it's so powerful, the ending in that sense. And it's like, like I said, like you get charged up and there's, there's the, the, this book ends with a, with a line with a, with one sentence. And you're just like, you know, like, brah, <laughs> like you just want to go charging. You know what I mean? Like, it's I like, hope, I don't I know. Think so of your glad. favorite speech from a movie or something where, you, where, you, where your hair stood up or something and you're like, ah, let's go. And you want to go charge and protest and do whatever. And, and uh, that's how I felt at the end of this book. I was like, let's go get your pack. Yeah, I'm It's going to yeah. be, yeah. I mean, they go. Who, I mean, I still put them through it in book two. You have to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's and, the fun part, right? <laughs> and, you know, and, and also book two is so much, there's so much emotional turmoil in book mm. two because there's so much trauma in book one that now these characters are kind of going to be process, are processing it together in book two. Um yeah, there's so much. It's it's well as much <laughs> it's as daunting yeah. and it's beautiful and I'm loving it. But book one was just such an emotional roller coaster to, to write. Um, it re- I feel like I don't. I feel like this book changed me as the author. Awesome. I was changed after I wrote this book, and I think the reason it took me so long to really write it and finish it is because I had to become 
the person who could write this story. I hadn't earned it yet. And I'm grateful that it took this long because I'm like, oh yeah, I couldn't have written that book at any other point in my life. That's amazing. And as a reader, I'm grateful that you wrote it at all. (laughs) I'm so happy this book exists and this story exists. And then in turn, I'm so happy you exist. That's a really great way to put it that because there's, that happens a lot where, you know, talk to so many authors about that. They're like, yeah, I couldn't have written this book even a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago, whatever the case may be. Right. Like, um, and, uh, and the world is ready for stories like this. Yeah. 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 You know, I think even five years ago, it would have been more challenging to have this published. And so now I think the industry is realizing there is such a hunger for representation. And um, the timing was really exquisite for me, really exquisite for me. So awesome. no regrets. Good. Um, March 1st, this book comes out. Uh, any launch events? What do you got going on? Mm. I'll be doing a reading at Mysterious Galaxy, the local um, speculative fiction, sci-fi fantasy, romance mystery bookstore, which I've been going to, I've been going to that bookstore for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I, I attend, they used to have a writing workshop that I would go to every once in a while. That was kind of cool. So my launch will be there March 1st. And then the next day I immediately leave as part of the Fierce Reads tour through Macmillan with three other authors and will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, Houston, Austin, and Dallas, Texas. That's with Raquel and... Yeah, Raquel Marie, and Amina Mesafi, and yep. Axio, I think. So <laughs> I saw that post and I think I said something about like, oh, just my favorite authors. Um, it's so- going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And I mean, especially just, I mean, for me, post-pandemic, I'm like, let me out. Let me out into the world. I hope I remember how to be a human. How to interact with people, Yeah. Um, it, yeah, I just had Raquel on the show last week. Um, and I talked to Axie about a month ago mm-hmm. um, and Amin is coming on the show next month. So, oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're all going to be, I mean, I don't know any of these authors outside of social media, right? But it'll be, it'll be fun. Um, it's basically including yourself, just like the coolest group of authors ever. So you're going to be, I'm excited. Good, I'm you're excited. in good company and all their books are so fantastic. And they're all just like, and they're all just wonderful people and have important things to say like yourself. So it's, I couldn't, it's such a great combination of people just, you know, so that is very cool. And I was also very happy to see that it's like, yeah, like a tour because that's something that we've just been missing the last couple of years. Right. So. Oh, well, I mean, we've been missing so much. I mean, just, possibilities we've been missing yeah and so i'm really happy that we're at this point here we are a month out we leave a month from when today when we're recording but um that things seem to be kind of calming in terms of the virus yep and yeah. then, you know and i know there's still a lot of people who won't have the same accessibility to attend events right. um and i'm just i'm for me personally, I just, I'm really grateful to be able to get on the road um, because you dream about this when you want to be an author. And I have so much empathy and sympathy for authors who debuted during pandemic and didn't have the opportunity for that, that pivotal moment to have a real life release or a real life book tour, you know, that. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing like Axie and Amina have had books come out 
during the pandemic already right so they haven't been able to do that and so it's so great for them and yeah there's so many and you never get that experience back that debut experience right right? you just don't um but yeah super stoked about that and anything you got going on i'm sure you'll update on you know the social medias and the socials you know the usual spots yep being a dork on tiktok Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what it's for. Right. Um, I wish I am. So I know what I don't like, I don't have nearly enough self-confidence to do TikTok. I wish I did, but I don't. Uh, I don't either fake it till you make it. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's just like, you know what? Let's have fun. Have fun at the the end of the day. Have fun. Just play. You know, I don't, I don't, I want to be playful as an author, as well as, you know, serious and creative. I want to make sure that there's still play in my work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, I like, I'm, truly envious of people because my brain just won't allow me to do stuff like that but uh maybe one day one day i'm a work in progress but um liz i can't thank you enough this was so much fun and yeah i don't i'm not prone to bullshit so when i tell you i like something i mean it and uh yay i love the last well, I'm excited for you to read book two. I'm excited, yeah. <laughs> oh, I got goosebumps thinking about it. I got goosebumps thinking. I'm taking some risks, which I'm really excited about. Oh, I love that. No, that's great. I love it. I love that because especially when you read a lot of books like I do and, and you know, it's like when you read one, the first one or two chapters and you already know how the whole thing is going to go, it's yeah. like, it's, it's not always fun, right? Like it's, yeah. there's a predictability to so much of, of the industry and it's not, I love it when authors sort of break the mold and, and, and do get out of comfort zones and, and work outside of the box. And I love it. I love it. So that sounds good. I'm in, oh, I'm, I was already in, but I'm in for Yay. sure. So anyways, good luck with the launch Liz and have, thank you and, so and much. Safe, have a safe, but fun uh, tour too. That sounds like, thank that sounds you like so a great much. Time. There you have it. Another episode of everything is canon all wrapped up. Huge thanks to Liz for stopping by and talking all about The Lost Dreamer, a fantastic start to this series. The book is out now, so pick up a copy wherever you buy your books and head on over to lizhuerta.com for more information. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen and head on over to cinelinks.com for the latest movie, TV, books, and gaming news. Please continue to be safe out there. Bye for now. And, 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 and there's no objection.